0: Dear friends, tonight we continue our uh, exploration of various sutras, um, the canonical teachings of the Buddha, um, as are best thought of as being his direct words, given that nothing was written down until several hundred years after he lived. pondered somewhat too long on which sutra for us to study this month, Um, and finally, having taken home the paperback um, version of the chanting book, I chose the Discourse on the Four Kinds of Nutriments, after which I discovered that it was not in the Hardback book, and that's one of, that would be one of the reasons that we are not very familiar with it. it is not one that we regularly um, chant during our monthly sutra services. Um, it is also very strange, very graphic, disturbing visual imagery, and very opaque. Um, and I really only also realized that as I started trying to um, study it more closely. However, I think for those reasons, it is worth examining. And so I offer you not a definitive interpretation or commentary, because these are in the shape of metaphors and images. And I think um, even though there are some, some traditional commentaries, including some by Thai that I will share parts of, I think the imagery is the kind of thing that if you wish to engage it personally in your own practice, you will have to find your own um, vision of how, it, how you can relate to it, because it is they are very difficult and striking images. I also say that the other um, motivation that I had for uh, studying this sutra this month is that this, this set of the four nutriments is something that comes up in the five mindfulness trainings, the fifth training on mindful consumption. And it's sort of a little set of these things um, that we kind of trip over, gloss over, and um, again, the terminology is kind of um, esoteric and we often um, get a little bit, um, we don't get into the richness of those things as well and so I, I, I felt that for me it was, it was it was valuable to engage them a little further even though again this particular text is, has its challenges um, because of that I want to front load a little bit um, the, some of the terminology before I read um, the discourse itself um, so you may remember from either the mindfulness trainings or having studied this discourse already the four nutriments are um, considered to be the things that we feed ourselves or the things that nourish us in the broadest possible sense. And so edible food is the most obvious one, and it's, it's, it's the one that we often um, speak of the most when we are talking about mindful consumption. Um, sense impressions are the things that we take in through our, sense of sight and sound and smell and taste and touch and again that's a fairly clear thing that we can imagine consuming and the different kinds of of sensory experiences nourishing us or harming us in various ways. Um, Volition is one of the trickier ones and it is also (laughs) regularly um, translated as motivation, intention, or our sort of deepest desires are the things that, that make us, that compel us to, to act or, or think or do certain ways. And that's, that's one that um, we, can, we can contemplate more closely, how our, how our intentions or our motivations, how we consume those. What does it mean to be nourished by or consume those things? And lastly, consciousness is again something that sounds kind of weird, it's like how do we consume consciousness? And um, the idea there is that uh, thoughts, ideas, memories, um, plans for the future are all things that we that we give our minds to and that again we, we um, in a certain way of speaking um, consume those things and they in turn feed us, and nourish us, or have the potential to harm us. Um, So so there's the terminology, Um, and here's the discourse. This is what I heard one time when the Buddha was at the Anattapandika Monastery in the Jedha Grove near the town of Shravasti. That day the Buddha told the monks, There are four kinds of nutriments which enable living beings to grow and maintain life. What are these four nutriments? The first is edible food. The second is the food of sense impressions. The third is the food of volition. The fourth is the food of consciousness. Bhikkhus, how should a practitioner regard edible food? Imagine a young couple with a baby boy whom they look after and raise with all their love. One day they decide to bring their son to another country to make their living. They have to go through the difficulties and dangers of a desert. During the journey, they run out of provisions and fall extremely hungry. There is no way out for them, and they discussed the following plan. We only have one son whom we love with all our heart. If we eat his flesh, we shall survive and manage to overcome this dangerous situation. If we do not eat his flesh, all three of us will die. After this discussion, they killed their son with tears of pain, and gritting their teeth they ate the flesh of their son just so as to be able to live and come out of the desert. The Buddha asked, Do you think that the couple ate their son's flesh because they wanted to enjoy its taste and because they wanted their bodies to have the nutriment that would make them more beautiful? The monks replied, No, Venerable Lord. The Buddha asked, Were the couple forced to eat their son's flesh in order to survive and escape from the dangers of the desert? The monks replied, Yes, Venerable Lord. The Buddha taught, Monks, every time we ingest edible food, we should train ourselves to look at it as our son's flesh. If we meditate on it in this way, we shall have clear insight and understanding, which puts an end to misperceptions about edible food, and our attachment to sensual pleasures will dissolve. Once the attachment to sensual pleasures is transformed, there are no longer any internal formations concerning the five objects of sensual pleasure in the noble discipline, disciple who applies themselves to the training and the practice. When the internal formations still bind us, we have to keep returning to this world. How should the practitioner meditate on the food of sense impressions? Imagine a cow which has lost its skin. Wherever it goes, the insects and maggots which live in the earth, in the dust, and on the vegetation, attach themselves to the cow and suck its blood. If the cow lies on the earth, the maggots in the earth will attach themselves to it and feed off of it. Whether lying down or standing up, the cow will be irritated and suffer pain. When you ingest the food of sense impressions, you should practice to see it in this light. You will have insight and understanding, which puts an end to misperceptions concerning the food of sense impressions. When you have this insight, you will no longer be attached to the three kinds of feeling. When no longer attached to the three kinds of feeling, The noble disciple does not need to strive anymore, because whatever needs to be done has already been done. How should the practitioner meditate on the food of volition? Imagine there is a village or a large town near a pit of burning charcoal. There are only the smokeless glowing embers left. Now there is an intelligent person with enough wisdom who does not want to suffer and only wants happiness and peace they do not want to die and they only want to live they think over there the heat is very great although there is no smoke and there are no flames still if i have to go into that pit there is no doubt that i shall die knowing that they are determined to leave knowing that they are determined to leave the, that large town or that village and go somewhere else The practitioner should meditate like this on the food of volition. Meditating like this, they will have insight and understanding, which puts an end to misperceptions about the food of volition. When they arrive at that understanding, the three kinds of craving will be ended. When these cravings are ended, the noble disciple who trains and practices will have no more work to do, because whatever needs to be done has already been done. How should the practitioner meditate on the food of consciousness? Imagine that the soldiers of the king have arrested a criminal. They bind him and bring him to the king. Because he has committed theft, he is punished by people piercing his body with three hundred knives. He is assailed by fear and pain all day and all night. The practitioner should regard the food of consciousness in this light. If they do, they will have insight and understanding which puts an end to misperceptions concerning the food of consciousness. When they have this understanding regarding the food of consciousness, the noble disciple who trains and practices will not need to strive anymore because whatever needs to be done has been done. When the Buddha had spoken, the monks were very happy to put the teachings into practice. Some pretty rough stuff. (laughs) And one could sort of contemplate why all of these examples are so um, ultimately negative and violent. Um, Certainly, the, the emphasis on the imagery is on the harm that comes from not consuming mindfully. Um, and one could imagine, as we have sometimes done, turning over the um, uh, thought or the image into a more positive image of what it is that we gain gained from, from these different nutrients and what, um, what nourishment looks like and feels like. However, I do think that part of um, the power of these images is that, in fact, it's so easy to um, not pay attention to the harm that we are doing ourselves um, in these different areas. And again, um, we've addressed, I think, the, the, um, the image of eating one's own child is by far the most difficult to contemplate, Um, being invited to consider how everything we actually eat came from some life or another um, is also very powerful. I think similarly things like um, what what kinds of sensory experiences or sense impressions we surround ourselves with can be very subtle and sometimes it takes a big change of context to be made aware of just what impact and what possible harm our senses are creating for us and certainly when we go... On retreat, one of the things about the silence is that we are not um, filling our, our ears with lots of loud sounds, um, we're not stimulating our, our eyes with all kinds of images, and um, so we have, again, the opportunity to assess and um, experience what, what it means to be free from the harm of some of those things. Clearly, our motivations and desires are even harder to engage um, objectively or or from a detached point of view, and obviously um, mindfulness and meditation is, is a tool for um, examining those things, as as with as much clarity as we can find, I think it's striking that in the image of the of the charcoal pit, there is the the implication that there are many things that we um, don't even see or perceive. So there's this this red hot pit that would burn us up, but we don't even hardly notice it. And so the, the recourse in the parable is to simply leave, the, leave town to avoid, to, to ensure that we don't accidentally fall into that pit, because we don't necessarily notice it as we're going around. And so the effort that it takes to examine our, um, our desires and our intentions um, clearly is is considerable in how we go about doing that. finally in the in some of the commentaries on the image of the the convicted thief being stabbed repeatedly, um, there's the sense that um, this is something that we inflict upon ourselves when we hold on to certain thoughts that we, we ruminate on and consider over and over and over again and we can't let go of both the past or worries about the future um, and that um, that is harm that we do ourselves by clinging to um, memories or thoughts or ideas that we don't, that are, that are in fact, harmful to us. And I think that um, you know one of the very first little uh, phrases or, or um, thoughts of Buddhist um, practice that I was exposed to before I began sitting here was just a single phrase: "What you give your mind to grows," and that. Um, always really um, somehow summed up to me so much of what this practice is about and what the understanding of how we how we both nurture nurture ourselves and, and um, nourish ourselves and how we how we harm ourselves and poison ourselves and um, especially the last two nutriments, the, the ideas of Volition and consciousness clearly are very strongly um, embodied by that simple phrase, what we give our mind to grows. Just to share a little bit of, in addition, um Ty's commentary. Um, around the nutriments. Um, So, with regard to edible food, he reminds us that if we do not eat properly, if we destroy our health, if we eat and drink in such a way that deprives other living beings of having the chance to live, then we are eating the flesh of our parents and our own children in us and around us. Interestingly, he, include, he categorizes um, things like news and ads and um, things that could be thought of as almost ideas but that come from outside of us, as part, is as, as in with the image of sense impressions. Um, the sights and sounds used to capture our attention draw us in and contain toxins. We have to protect ourselves and guard our six senses against these toxins while driving through a city or being in, immersed in our sort of usual environments. And again, that image of the, the skinless cow is so, ghoulish and creepy, but again, there's this notion that we are ex—we are as exposed as that skinless cow. We are as receptive, as sensitive, um, and um, without mindfulness. Mindfulness is the only agent that can guard the door of our six senses and protect us. So mindfulness is that skin, that that hide that the cow should have to be able to be safe in the world and not be tormented by every single touch of anything, any little thing. The third kind of nutriment is volition, our deep desire. This kind of energy pushes us to do things in our daily lives, we have to look deeply into ourselves to see what kind of energy motivates our daily actions we are constantly working hard in order to go somewhere or realize something what is the purpose of this kind of active life the third nutriment motivates us and can bring a lot of happiness or a lot of suffering with regard to the charcoal pit, we must see whether our intention is bringing us suffering and despair. If so, we must release it and find another source of energy. And again, the willingness to actually leave town. I mean, think about how dramatic of a change that is to just say, nope, not doing this anymore. And and make a very big um, a big change in your life and your thinking, your behavior, to to protect yourself and to stay stay healthy and whole. Consciousness represents the sum of all actions that have been done, thoughts, speeches, and bodily acts. The maturity of consciousness brings forth the manifestation of our present body, our present mental state, and our present environment. Consciousness here is described in terms of the deluded mind, the mind characterized by wrong views and afflictions that result from unwholesome volitions or motivations. The suffering of the three realms, the realm of desire, the realm of form, and the realm of non-form, are the consequences of our actions that determine the nature and quality of our consciousness. If consciousness gets the wholesome kind of food, in the Eightfold Path, right view, right thinking, right mindfulness, right speech, right communication, concentration, it will undergo transformation and become true mind, which will serve as the basis for the manifestation of a healthy body, wholesome and happy mental states, and a same sane and beautiful environment. So I, I have no great additional wisdom <laughs> To offer, um, except for the invitation to um, consider these images and how they might inform your own practice, and um, how we we feed ourselves with all of these aspects.